Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. those are able to please stand for the first lesson from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4. Looking at the first 11 verses, listen now to the Word of God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Again, I ask those who are able to please stand for our second lesson. It is from Deuteronomy, and we selected readings from the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 4. Listen now to the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. And then picking up in verse 10. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you a land with fine, large cities that you did not build, houses filled with all sorts of goods that you did not fill, hewn cisterns that you did not hew, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, And when you have eaten your fill, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name alone you shall swear. 
Do not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who are all around you, because the Lord your God who is present with you is a jealous God. And the anger of the Lord your God would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you from the face of the earth. And then picking up in verse 20, when your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And then the Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household. And he brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. And then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our everlasting good, so as to keep us alive as is now the case. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, we will be in the right. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Remember who you are. He had heard those words countless times and from no less an oracle than his grandmother. She used the phrase frequently, addressing him, his sisters, and even on momentous occasions, his father. The words were her wisdom, the essence distilled from 80 years of joy and sorrow, confusion, serenity, and finally, overweening assurance. Her wisdom was all she had to give, and she gave it freely, but she never wasted it. The words were always appropriate, never adulterated with further specifics or moralizing. No, it was always remember who you are. There was power in the phrase, and there was power in the grandmother. She would protect her loved ones as best she could. For a southerner of family, the words were enough. They covered everything. Remember who you are. And so begins the Emory Medical School career of Porter Osborne, Jr., the hero of When All the World Was Young by Farrell Sams. The summer of 1942 finds Porter embarking on a new stage, a new adventure in his life. Those of us who have read this series have watched Porter grow up, first in Run with the Horseman. We see him in his um, upper elementary, uh, middle school, high school years as a Georgia farm boy in what is really Fayette County, Georgia. And then the Whisper of the River, we see him in his college years in what is really Mercer University in Macon. And the people in his life and the adventures and the misadventures that he experienced have all shaped him, molded him, formed him for what is standing at the door of Emory Medical School. He goes forward 
He knows who He is. He knows whose He is. Remember who you are. We pick up in Deuteronomy, the people of God, the Hebrews, have been molded first by the Exodus. There was a generation that escaped the land of Egypt, and they were molded by that as well as their previous experience in Egypt. And over a generation, they had passed away, but they had told those stories to their children and grandchildren in the same way that I can reference things from the Depression simply because I heard my father talk about them. Again, one reason why I still clean my plate and try to tell my children to clean my plate and then get corrected. And I always say, but back during the Depression, and then I get reminded, no, the Depression is over. Nevertheless, it molded me in some respects. It had molded them, and then for this generation that has been raised in the wilderness, at a series of oases that God provided for the people, those experiences had also molded them. And now they are embarking, ready to enter the promised land, and Moses is giving a last set of instructions to them. As they came of age, in a so to speak, remember who you are. Those experiences of the exodus and the wilderness shaped them in a way like Porter Osborne Jr.'s Fayette County Farm World shaped him as it developed further at Mercer. As they are ready to enter the promised land, the questions are before them. What kind of people would they be? And what kind of people would they become? And how will they relate to God? Remember who you are. God will give them a means and a blessing by which to remember just that. Our first reading said, Hear, people of God, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. We are related to God not by fear, but by love, with awe and reverence. That is the biblical view of fear awe and reverence. It is God's initiating love found in Jesus Christ that is the glue as Christ has initiated that relationship with us. And we are to love God, heart, soul, and mind, mind, heart, and will in all dimensions. And that is the basis of our obedience. We love because God first loved us and we obey because He first loved us, and it involves all of who we are as persons. This baptismal font right down here reminds us that from the beginning, we belong to God. Love and obedience, like any relationship, on what is it based? It's based for us and what Christ has done for us on the cross. Remember who you are. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers and your mothers to give you cities and houses and vineyards and cisterns, then take heed lest you forget. We love and obey. We remember and give thanks. We remember the heroes and heroines of the faith, the communities who took a stand, We remember the salty saints sitting in our pews 
We remember God's dealings with us in mercy and in love. We remember and we give thanks. We remember those who showed us God's love and who taught us. We give thanks. We remember parents who taught us to pray, to tie our shoes, who patiently listened as we read that great masterpiece, Sally, Dick, and Jane. We remember the youth advisor who listened to our highs and lows, joys and complaints, who looked the other way when we needed that, and who gave us a soft but firm kick in the pants when we needed that, and both done for Jesus' sake. We remember the parents who were just a few years ahead of us who gave us examples of what it meant to be just that, a parent, as we're holding some little baby going, oh my gosh, this child is now my responsibility. As I speak, I can see many of you are remembering those who have gone before and shown you the way. I've shared this example numerous times, but it bears repeating of a management consultant who is often given the assignment to assess a candidate for a new job or a raise. I mean, a promotion that, of course, will lead to a raise or partner in the firm. And the consultant says there are three things he examines. One is drive, one is ability, and one is integrity. And drive and ability are fairly easy to measure. You can find some objective guidelines to say what, to, to measure that. But how do you measure integrity? And what he does, he'll take the person out to eat with spouse, if applicable, ask as many questions, probing questions, as are legal these days in the human resource world, and then just listen. He listens. Does the person have a sense of gratitude for those that you know, sacrifice for education, for the teachers, for the mentors, for the role models, for the opportunities that came that person's way? Or does the person sound entitled and self-important and self-centered? If the person is grateful, the greater the gratitude, the greater the chance for strong integrity in that person's life. Gratitude, a measure of integrity. At this communion table with bread and wine, we will remember and we will give thanks next week. We remember and give thanks for what Jesus Christ has done for us in the past. We remember and we give thanks for what Christ is doing among us now. And we remember and give thanks for what Jesus Christ will accomplish for us in the future. We remember and we give thanks. Remember who you are. Then from our third section, when your son or daughter asks you in time to come, why? And then you shall say, we were slaves in Egypt and God delivered us. We remember who we are when we remember who we were. When we tell the story of what God has done for God's people, and when we hear that story told today, when we tell our story of faith, and when we hear the stories of others, we have the Bible, God's Word to us, where we hear and where we find our story 
In fact, just a couple of years ago, we did a project, the story, going from cover to cover, seeing God's unfolding purposes. We have the stories of how God has led communities through the centuries by grace, seasons of survival and prosperity, complacency, tough times, new life that is found in different ways. Before seminary, I lived in Greenville, North Carolina, and I was a member of a church plant down there, Peace Presbyterian. Now, when I joined, they met in a rotary building. There were three, four rotary clubs in Greenville. They all owned a building together where they could have their meetings, and they could rent it out for any event or purpose that a group would want to meet. And so that's where that, that was part of the story then. But even then, they would talk about those first days when they met at the Ramada Inn. It, whatever rooms were available that Sunday is where they used for the nursery. And they worshiped in the bar. Well, nobody else was using it on Sunday morning. And so that's where they gathered before they went to the Rotary building. And then later, a sanctuary was built with about four rooms. And uh, the narthex also doubled as a bit of a fellowship room. Then I went off to seminary, I came back, and they had added on to what had been built. When I was there, they had begun their first kind of big mission, two big mission projects, partnering with other churches for the homeless, um, homeless center there in, in, in Greenville, as well as working with um, indigent mothers in Pitt County, getting layette kits for them. Of course, their story has continued actually things have grown. They've actually had to move their space and build a new sanctuary. But that store, church's story continues to unfold. One pastor's been there 15 years. He's just gone off to North Dakota of all places. And they're on for their next chapter. My Uncle Sam shared an interesting story once being on an airplane and talking with this young man about in his 30s that was next to him. And the man was married, had two, three children, and kind of wanting to give them some foundation, some direction. Whatever his wife's story was in church had not been good, and so they had not explored that option. Uh, but he felt like they were missing something. And my uncle said, you have a great opportunity in front of you. The stage of life, you get to direct what stories will influence them, what stories will guide them. Will you go to the culture or will you go to Scripture? Is it going to be Beavis and Butthead? Or is it going to be David and Paul and Mary and Jesus? What's it going to be? And the man's response was, and where do you go to church? <laughs> well, I may need to check it out. We remember who we are when we tell and hear the story of faith, when we give thanks and we remember, when we love and obey heart, mind, and strength. Now, some of you may be wondering, how do the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness connect with what you have just read from Deuteronomy and gone in depth? That was the first lesson today. Well, I'm going to spell it out. When Jesus faced his biggest temptation at one of his most vulnerable places, he remembered who he was 
both as Son of God and Son of Man. He faced temptations we all face. He faced those temptations on steroids. He faced them and responded to those challenges with Scripture taken from Deuteronomy. And those responses went to the core of what it meant to follow as a disciple. At one point, he's asked to turn the stones to bread. And one of the commentary is that the stones there actually kind of looked like bread. You get hungry, you get tired, mm, it looks a lot like bread. Oh, turn it to bread, yes, exactly. In a sense, that was a temptation for material goods. And the Roman Empire operated by the principle, give them bread and circuses, keep the people happy. And his response was, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was then given this challenge, throw yourself off the temple. What a sensational piece that would be, seeing someone swooped down and then caught right at the end. Be a sensationalist, make a splash, all style, no substance, all hat, no cattle as they say in Texas. But no, he said, you don't put the Lord to the test. Later told, worship me in all that I have. And he says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. When challenged to the core, Jesus responded, I remember who I am. It is important to know your story to study your story and to let God speak to you through that story as you encounter God's story, the Scriptures, the story of faith communities and how that intersects with your life, needing to know the story behind it all, a story of the past of what has been done, even as that can shape towards the future. Years ago in seminary, I took this, uh, we all had to take a class called Alternative Context. And my group went to Jamaica. We spent time in Kingston, in the gritty city, and uh, out in the country. And it was intriguing. We had an opportunity to meet a lady, Barbara Gluden, who was like the Barbara Walters of uh, Jamaica. Best way I can describe her. Newspaper woman, writes um, pantomimes, plays that are performed. And she talked about their land and their challenge. And she thought particularly for the children, the young people, watching all the American television, and she's not anti-American, but I think, oh my gosh, if that's the only picture they're getting of the U.S. is our television characters. And that was shaping them. And she wanted to counteract that. So in this Christmas play that she had written, she had worked into the play where these young people get a lesson, a review from the National Heroes of Jamaica, about five, six individuals who played a key role in the history of that country. It was supposed to be officially sanctioned, government sanctioned, these are the official role models, as part of how do we learn our own story if we're going to have a future. Helping them in a secular way to remember who they are. Last, sat last Saturday, I was up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's great in June. 
January, I'm sure, is another story. <laughs> but it's great in June. And a friend, it was great to be at the wedding for this daughter of friends of mine. It was a troubled pregnancy years ago, and I've been praying. So I was praying for this girl even before she was born, and then followed through Christmas letters um, and two visits over the 30-some years, 20-some uh, years, uh, to see her grow up, but there to be at the wedding. The reception was held at this music center for the University of Wisconsin at Madison. It is um, an old synagogue that had been uh, repurposed for, for the, for, 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 uh, sorry, for performing arts. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. There was a fascinating structure. And again, I thought anyone with an historic interest would just eat it up because to see how they were using it. But I also noticed the stained glass windows they had on both sides. They were like five in a row. Now, they did not have images. Again, the whole sense of the Torah, you don't make a graven image. So there were no people, but there were pictures. And knowing the stories of the Hebrew Scriptures, I could pick it out. Ah, that's Moses. Oh, that's Gideon. And, and, and what he did. So that the people would be reminded of their story. And that's why many of those early churches, in, our, in the cases of churches, had the stained glass windows with characters so that they would learn the story. The story of the faith, but also the story of a church. As some of you know, I grew up in my first 10 years in First Presbyterian Charlotte. And one of the stories that was told, I heard in the 70s, even as an elementary-aged kid, was about a particular sermon that Charlie Kramer, who was the pastor in the 50s, preached. It's the 1950s, and Charlotte is booming like every other city in the country, and subdivisions are being built, one after the other. In that community is Presbyterian heaven, and so Presbytery of Mecklenburg is just planting the churches right and left. And people were having to drive past sometimes two, three Presbyterian churches just to get to First Church, and nobody is living downtown. Like even if they wanted to do an outreach to a slum, they'd have to go some distance, drive to one to be able to reach out. And so he sent a postcard out to all the church members for the sermon title, Should We Move the Church? Well, that packed the house that following Sunday. But his message was, no, we should not move the church. Downtown Charlotte has changed. It is no longer a neighbor. This is no longer a neighborhood church any stretch of the imagination. It's a downtown church, and there's a community we have here to serve, people that are gathered during the week, agencies that need space to be hosted. We have an opportunity to serve Christ in the heart of Charlotte, and as far as I know, that's still on the bulletins. It was when I was there. And the interesting thing is, as Charlotte has continued to develop, Guess what? People are living downtown. And several years ago, they called an associate with the express purpose of reaching out to this new community that is around us. They live in condominiums, not standalone houses, as many decades ago was the case. Their new purpose that they were finding. During seasons of trial and during seasons in the wilderness, and during seasons of uncertainty, Jesus calls us to examine what is real to us.
during this season in which First Presbyterian Columbus finds itself, Jesus calls us to look to ourselves, to look at our core values, to look at our core commitments, to look at our core truths. During this season ahead, as we study Scripture, as we pray without ceasing, as we thoughtfully assess where we are, and as we faithfully seek to know where we are going, we can trust the Holy Spirit to guide and to correct, to challenge as well as to comfort, to chasten, even to encourage, as we head to a new promised land. And in all of that, remember who you are, love and obey. Remember who you are, remember and give thanks. Remember who you are, hear the story, and tell that story to others. Remember who you are. Amen. Let us stand now and affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.